behavior I had was a reflection of the ruts in my brain. And, and what my, my yeah. the, the little kid that I was, how to learn how to cope with the stress that I had internally, it was my safe little place. And now as an adult, that's not acceptable. Yep. That's not okay. That's not healthy for me, acceptable or, or loving. I was so stressed out. I couldn't, I couldn't function. It was my only escape. And when I was a kid, yep. that's what porn was for me, is it was an escape from all the chaos in my life. If you're experiencing that feeling that, oh my gosh, you know, at the end of the day, maybe everyone's going to leave me and they're going to abandon me and they are, they're gonna think, you know, I'm gonna be exposed as not being as competent as everybody thinks I am or whatever. But if that's true for us, how much more is that true for today's yeah. young person? I see a lot of the attack on identity and that, that expresses itself with, mm -hmm. um, I think nowadays, especially the sexuality thing, Hey, Ken, it is so great to have you with us. And also for those of you who are watching the Love and Truth Network podcast, we're excited to have you here as well. One of the things I'm excited about with Ken uh, being here today is that um, not only are we seeing that really we have a world in crisis, we have a country in crisis for sure, uh, but we have youth and young people in crisis, I think in particular. And uh, Ken actually works as the executive director for one of the chapters of Youth for Christ. And um, Ken and I met through a Pinnacle Forum uh, gathering, gosh, months ago now, and kind of became fast friends. And we connected, and Ken had me come to uh, over to his area, and he drew together some pastors and youth pastors and uh, workers within YFC. And we just had uh, the better part of a day just kind of unpacking and talking about um, issues of within the church and issues of pornography or sexual addiction, uh, sexual struggles, as well as LGBTQ issues. And ever since then, I really wanted to connect with Ken and have him on this uh, new podcast that we've started for Love and Truth Network. So Ken, thanks yeah. so much for being here. It's great to have you. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, yeah, Ken, one of the things that we do uh, in this podcast is we always want to start with really giving God glory and also giving people hope by hearing about um, the stories of how God has um, worked in the lives of the people that come on our podcast. So I'd love to give you 10, 12 minutes, whatever, just to share um, where you were before Jesus and having met Jesus and, you know, what's changed and even what's God working on in your life today. Yeah. Okay. So quick story. Um, uh, I'm 38. My parents divorced when I was four. My mom remarried about five, dad about six. And, uh, you know, divorce can be an ugly thing. Um, I love my parents and they ever saw this, you know, I definitely want them to know how much they, you know, I have the most uh, love for both of them. I know that life is never clean and easy. Um, but I think some of the, the, the effects that I had was the feelings of just not being good enough, um, unworthy enough. Um, I, you know, and so on the inside, I, I, I'm very intellectual. And so I, I, even as a kid, I held a lot of things in 
um, when I got into, I think it was about, uh, well, considering that the nature of this podcast, I think I was about 10 years old when I first saw pornography. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the internet became a thing by my freshman year of high school. And so, I mean, definitely I w- I'm one of those boys where, uh, 83, 87% of, of, of men who saw porn regularly, especially before I knew Jesus. Um, it was my, right. so I grew up, um, again, good grades, athletic, uh, on the outside, definitely a poster child for, you know, what you'd want your kid to be. And on the inside, I was miserable and I didn't know what it was, but I was angry. Mm-hmm. I'd have outbursts. I'd randomly just blow up. And it was my freshman year of high school. I played basketball. not, not horrible. Probably not, not D one material, but I wasn't bad. Um, And there was a a basketball tournament. My mom made me go to this youth thing at Arco Arena in in Sacramento. And I hated her and everyone else for it because I missed the tournament. And while I was there, um, it was the uh, last night of the event. And the guy that was speaking said, uh, you know, if you want to come to Christ, come to the forward. And this girl that I had a crush on uh, walked down. So, of course, you know, I'm a gentleman. And I walked her down to the front. And uh, about 100 feet Mm -hmm. from the stage... I felt a wind hit me and it was the strangest out of body experience. I dropped to my knees, started sobbing. And I literally, um, out loud started to pray, Lord, forgive me. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I hurt. I'm alone. I'm depressed. Went back to my chair and the youth pastor, the youth pastor was like, Hey, so uh, what happened? And I was like, I think there's a God. And so for about a whole month, I was very curious. And old, dab- old habits die hard. And so I went back to my, my ways, most of them. Uh, and then the next year, it came around again, same event. And my friends begged me to go. And I was like, absolutely not. So I went. And uh, one, of the, one of the worship songs they were playing, again, and, and growing up, I went to church every other weekend and Easter and Christmas. That was my experience at church. Um, I was one of four right. kids. And so oftentimes I heard getting the blankety blank car, we're going to blankety blank church. So the consistency of faith and morality was not always present. Um, And so God was an abstract thing to me. It was a, uh, I don't know, just a guy in the sky. And I don't know, that was about it, right? Like, you know, don't do bad things, be a good person. That was my my idea of faith. Um, So the second year that I went, there was a song that was played. And I remember looking up at the sky and the ceiling and just said, God, I want to have a purpose. I want to feel like I matter. And that was my prayer. It wasn't fancy. Um, and I felt like God spoke to me and said, you know, basically in, in my words, uh, you know, you've experienced who I am and now you're at the fork in the road. Either you're going to follow me or you're not. Choice is yours. And I remember that first year, that experience I had, and I was like, I, I can't go against that. Like I, I, und- I undeniably encountered God. And I, I just couldn't turn away. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a, definitely a, a, mm. a powerful, powerful thing in my life. Um, so yeah. uh, anyway, so that began a journey. I came back and got involved with the local Youth for Christ chapter in Central Northern California. I uh, worked with inner, inner city youth. And these kids were like me, just I was in a different socioeconomic status based upon my parents' income. And that was really the only difference. I talked like them. I thought like them. I was like, man, these are my kids. Um, I wanted to actually be a sports medicine doctor. 
Um, so God took away that fame and fortune from me, but it's worth it. Uh, <laughs> um, mm. And so, yeah, I, I fell in love with, I saw myself in these kids and I wanted to be somebody who could show them what I experienced. So that started a journey and I just kind of worked my way through college. And one day I was given the opportunity to be an executive director and I said, absolutely not. And here I am. So lesson learned is don't tell God no. So yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. I've learned that a few times over as well. Um, How long have you been an executive director? Since July of 2019. I I will say going going back to your question though, about the whole, the sexual addiction thing. Um, man, I think one of the things that I, I just, I just, it's been so long since I've, I've looked at porn or been, in, you know, kind of in that rut in my brain. One of the things that I realized is maybe seven or eight years ago, um, I hadn't looked at porn in probably a decade. And I had this, I literally, it was right before I got married. I had this just freeing experience where I prayed to God. I'm like, God, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't want to be doing this. And I forget what happened, but I just stopped. Like there wasn't, a, it wasn't a miracle. I just, something in my brain shifted. And then, mm. um, I don't think I've ever publicly said this, but I, I'm not ashamed of it. So I'll say it now. Mm. Um, it was around the time my son was born and my life, he has special needs. And it was just the most insane, chaotic time of my life. I mean, it was just, it's not, not the time or place to go into all the details, but I caught myself looking at porn once. And I, it shocked myself. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And I saw my counselor and I was like, I, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't, I'm not even attracted to it. Like, I don't know why I, I, I felt horrible. I, I stopped. I mean, it was like maybe once or twice. And it wasn't much. I, I don't know how, I don't know when it was a long time ago. Anyway. Mm-hmm. And I realized he said, Ken, you have been operating at this extreme level of stress. And the moment your body relaxes, it feels uncomfortable. And he began to walk me through what's happening mm-hmm. in my brain. And then I started to understand and catch like, oh, I'm stressed out right now. My body thinks the only way to cope with that is this. And I was able to control it. And so it was, I think, yep. um, I know I've talked with you. I know your wife is working towards being a therapist or is a therapist already. I can't remember. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. She is. Yes. Um, but man, I t- tell you what, walking, walking in prayer and scripture and with a therapist I just, I'm such a believer in that. That was a huge, because it would have been so easy to have gone down this shame cycle and then I would have kept doing this behavior, not knowing why, and it would have become even worse. And having somebody I could go to and say, I don't, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't want to be doing this. It was like a knee jerk Mm -hmm. reaction to the stress in my life that I was so stressed out. I couldn't, I couldn't function. It was my only escape. And when I was a kid, that's what porn was for me is it was an escape from all the chaos in my life and it just old habits. Right. And so I, nobody had walked through that with me. Um, but yeah, I, I have not thought about that in a long time. It's been, it's been a few years. So, yeah. Well, and that's really, really helpful. Uh, I appreciate you being willing to share that actually, because what that reminds me of actually, Ken is what, I mean, when I grew up in the church and, um, People that have watched these podcasts previously have probably heard me talk about having been exposed to pornography by some older neighborhood boys at the age of five or six and also their sexual uh, behavior together and all that. But I um, 
uh, growing up in the church, I, uh, for, for a long time, I just, I, I swam in that shame. I lived in that shame and you're right. That shame does create a cycle. Like it's, it, it, it's, um, it seems par- um, paradoxical, but it actually, it does make sense that, that to the, the shame feels so intense and shame is such an awful, um, an awful feeling that we want to escape it in any way that we can. And so that when, um, we might go through this cycle of, of remorse and repentance, uh, often do as Christians, obviously, but then the not not knowing a solution or a way out, and oftentimes um, I think living with this by ourselves is what most of us do. Um, you know, God's real design and pathway forward is through community, uh, and and by being known and having a band of brothers or a band of sisters walking with us, uh, praying yeah. for us, that people that we can confess our sins to, etc. And um, but what it reminds me of is for a long time, I thought that pornography was a spiritual issue only. I thought that um, it was it, it was just uh, it was something somewhere, you know, because of my sin bent and all of that. And of course, it's, that's true that it is a sin issue, no doubt about that. It is a spiritual issue, um, but it's not only a spiritual issue. And so part of what you were describing is that it's also a neurological issue. It's, a, it's, a, it's an issue of our brain craving something, yeah. a release of certain yeah. chemicals um, that, that pornography, um, and sexual sin, uh, really does, um, uh, can release in powerful ways. And that's where the addiction, uh, oftentimes happens that going back over and over again to get that same sense of release. Well, it's true. I think of, uh, Roman, is it Romans 12 to be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind? It's one of, one of, someone in Romans. Yes. Um, and I think about that passage a lot of how the behavior I had was a reflection of the ruts in my brain. And, and what my, my, yeah. the, the little kid that I was, how to learn how to cope with the stress that I had internally, it was my safe little place. And now as an adult, that's not acceptable. Yeah. That's not okay. That's not healthy for me, acceptable or, or loving. Um, but at the same time, I didn't know why. And so being able to catch and say, oh, I'm feeling stressed out. I have all this pressure. I'm going to find a better way. I'm going to refocus my thoughts. Like I began to get control and actually manage because I understood what was going on inside of me. You know, one of the things that I pray for, for this next generation and for ourselves as Christians in general, or anyone, I mean, regardless of your faith, is to have a true self-understanding. Mm-hmm. How did I get where I'm at? Why yeah. am I here? I, I think it's so easy in our culture and I watch our kids do it be like, oh, I'm just born that way. Or that's just who I am. Oh, well, that's just, that's just what my family does. And I'm like, well, yeah, but is that really the best? Is it is it based in scripture? As a Christian, is it based in scripture? Um, I think I think there's so many things that the culture influences the faith, and not the other way around. And you know, I just I pray for self understanding, for that self revealing, that that renewing of the mind, as Romans talks about. Um, yeah, and and I can see. I mean, I I had a major personal ordeal about two or three years ago, where I I just snapped. And I couldn't, I couldn't hold it in. I mean, all this pressure and stress and all the things going on. And mm-hmm. I, I was out on the beach one morning at my cousin's house. And I was literally reading, I think it was Psalm 2710. And it said, though my mother and father shall abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Mm. And I just, I dropped to my knees and I wept because I heard God say, mm. hey, I'm here. Where's everyone else? And I realized mm-hmm. I had been working yep. so hard and trying to run so fast and be perfect enough because I was terrified on the inside. The little boy in me was worried 
that people were going to leave me. Mm-hmm. That my wife, you know, wouldn't like me. That my coworkers yep. would think I'm a loser. And I just I came to this moment of heck. Even my parents, my my blood, my my family can abandon me, but God will hold me even close. And that changed how mm-hmm. I led, how I interacted at home. I mean, it transformed me um, by by how I saw God and who I saw Him as. And so, you know, I, but mm-hmm. again, that self-understanding. And I, I unfortunately, I, I had to go through a rather yeah. painful experience to, to get to that place, to, to see that. Um, you know, the, the other prayer I've, I've always had is, Lord, don't make me learn the lesson the hard way. Help me to be humble enough to learn mm-hmm. the easy way. And sometimes... Yeah, or to, and to learn it yeah. from other people, right? Learn, yeah. learn from other sometimes, people's hard experiences. Sometimes, though, you know, you got to get slapped a little bit, so... <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, and I love what you're talking about with that self-perception and then also uh, what you were describing, uh, you know, as, as the little boy. I think that's that's very true. The truth is I've, I've in my pastoral, my years of, of working as a pastor and now um, working as a ministry leader, I am coming out of, you know, so much of my own sexual addiction and emotional addiction and all kinds of stuff. Um, the, the idea that, um, mo- most, I think that most men and most women, uh, who have not yet, um, kind of confronted their past and, and worked through, um, issues that, that happened in their, in their family history and happened with them. And for example, divorce, I mean, divorce is so normalized and it's so frequent that we oftentimes don't even give it a second thought in terms of how is this impacting, um, the kids yeah. involved. And then kids are just expected to sort of bounce back, go to school, just, you know, everything's fine. You've now you've got two homes, you know, as if that's a plus. And, um, you know, you get to bounce back and forth between them. And that, it's just so destabilizing for kids, that that one thing alone. And then you have everything else that's thrown into the, mix, the, the middle of it. My point is this, if you're experiencing that feeling that, oh my gosh, you know, at the end of the day, maybe everyone's going to leave me and they're going to abandon me and they are, they're going to think, you know, I'm going to be exposed as not being as competent as everybody thinks I am or whatever. If you think, if you struggle with that as a 38 year old man, if I've struggled with that, um, on, you know, for, for many years, I'd say right up around that same time, 38, 39, 40 years old. Um, and, and, and sometimes those whispers still come back again, but it it doesn't control me the way it used to. But if that's true for us, how much more is that true for today's young person? Yeah. I mean, what what are you seeing kind of in the landscape of of where you minister? You're both ministering to young people directly, but you're also training leaders and walking with leaders. What what are you seeing um, in in the lives of young people today that really concern you? Uh, there's lots yeah. of things probably, but what are some of the most concerning things for you? Well, I I think on on two fronts. Um, one, just generically speaking, I think that there is a massive attack on what identity is and um, mm. what it means, uh, wh- what family means. Um, it, it's a, it's a difficult, long topic to get into. I know, but you mm-hmm. know, we, we've got kids who are, are very detached from home. Um, it, many of our kids home is not the safe place. And again, again, this is a, a sweeping generalization, a broad generalization of the kind of the, the, the demographic of kids we're working with. Um, I know that not every home is like that, of course, but um, sure. 
Yeah, I would say a lot of our kids, um, there's a disconnect. And so they're right. Well, and Ken, Ken, let me just jump. Can I just jump in here for a second? Because like you said, not every home is that way. And, and that certainly is true. But oftentimes, even when home is not that way, sometimes kids perceive it sure. to be that way because of the, because of what's being told yep. to them, because of what they're hearing yep. at school or what they're, what they're being told yep. on social media, they misinterpret yep. like their parents' boundaries or the way that they're trying to guide them and all that. They misinterpret yep. that as a lack of safety of some kind, or my parents don't love me the way I want them to. Yep. And so even in homes where parents are trying to do that, kids can sometimes feel that this isn't a safe well, place. And I me. think along those lines, I mean, one of the big issues we face is how do you love people? without necessarily affirming everything they believe. Um, and you showed a, a, a great yeah, right. clip, you know, at the training about the, the blind guy walking off the cliff. And the one guy was like, no, no, don't offend mm. him. You know, just let, let him live his truth. And he walks off the cliff. It's like, well, there comes a point mm -hmm. where, I mean, if I handed you a, I don't know, a, 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 co a cotton mouth snake or a, a viper of some mm. sort, and said, hey, go ahead and play with it. I mean, hopefully your wife or somebody would smack me and you and say, what are you doing? No, they're going to kill you. Right, um, right. Right. And, he, and Jesus actually used that, uses that as an example, like your heavenly father, you know, it, it, you being evil uh, as, right. as people, you're not going to give your kid a stone when he asks for bread. You're not going to give him a viper. Right. right. And so much, how much, how yeah. much more does your heavenly father, you know, love and care about you than even our earthly yeah. father? So yeah, that, that's a great analogy. So, you know, I, I, um, I see a lot of the attack on identity and, and that, that expresses itself with, mm -hmm. um, I think nowadays, especially the sexuality thing. Um, I mean, yeah. and I think what's unfortunate and, uh, you know, I think that many adults with good hearts have felt that, um, by, affirming some of the language and shows support. But, you know, I, I struggle. And again, I, I want to be careful because I don't know who might be seeing this. And so I want to be respectful, you know, to walk around and say, oh, well, this person is non-binary. Well, what does that mean? Uh, you know, or to say, well, mm -hmm. this person is this or that. Well, but what does that mean? And I feel like we've kind of cast aside critical thought, and our kids pick up on that. And so anything that their imagination holds can be can be true, but unfortunately, you know, it it doesn't hold up in real life. And, and I think of, right. for example, as businesses, I talk to businesses. Well, you have someone who walks in with purple hair or rainbow hair and says that they're you know their source of their pronouns. Well. Does, what do I do with that? And even if you're just a decent, good person who wants to love on these kids by affirming this in them, what we're, we're, we're setting them up for a more difficult future when it comes to employment or even social relationships. Or in some cases, what I see is this culture that says, if you don't affirm me, you're against me. So it's, it's pitting right. these kids against each other in the world or saying the only people you can trust is this tight little, this tight little knit group here and anybody else is scary and dangerous. And so, right. especially in, in the, in the, in the, the kids who struggle with say 
uh, I'm probably not saying this politically correct, but like the trans issues, for example, I've had, I've been called a transphobic because I said, by ladies. And there was a group of girls. And on that day, one girl decided Mm -hmm. she was identifying that way. Well, could you imagine walking into your boss and being, Oh no, I'm I'm, I'm a girl today. He'd be like, I'm sorry. What? I mean, like there there's, there's this disconnect between Mm -hmm. real life and this, whatever world these kids are living in. Um, and I think back to, I mean, when I was in high school, I mean, even in 20 years, I mean, I'm not that old. I graduated 20 years ago, man. Now I feel old. Never mind. I've been out of high school longer than I was in school in general. Um, yes. You know, I, I think that there's a real life consequence that we're not talking about. And I, I don't, I don't personally believe that it's, it's loving to set someone up for failure. Um, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I, I don't have empathy or compassion for the struggle. I mean, those sure. are two di- very different issues. But I, I think the other, on the other front is, so that was the first thing, is just the, this identity issue. Identity. But on the second mm-hmm. issue I see is that um, among leaders, especially leaders that, that I lead in our organization, is that even 20 years ago, Christianity had a much broader definition. Excuse me, other way around. Had a much more narrow definition. If you were a Christian, you kind of knew you fit somewhere in this box. Well, now Christian Mm -hmm. can mean as wide as you want to get. You kind of create your own God and then you make scripture fit whatever perspective you want. And then you get on your moral high horse and anybody else who disagrees with you is, um, you know, not, not kind and not loving. And I I think, um, I think this is the next battle that leaders face is to be scripturally grounded, um, to have uh, strong, accurate biblical knowledge, because that's the yes. one thing that doesn't yes. change. The world will always change. God's word remains unchanging. And I, mm-hmm. I fear that in our desire to be loving and kind and open and come be in our midst, I think one of the things that you mm-hmm. said beautifully when you did our training is you said, scripture is offensive. Jesus is going to offend you. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure we've set these kids up or this generation up to experience the pain of life, the sacrifice of life in a way that honors God to its truest form. Um, I, 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 and I hope and pray that there becomes a revival of sorts. I just talking about the Asbury thing over in Kentucky. You know, sure. I, I was thinking like, what would it look like? What is the, the, the foundation of the revival? And I'm thinking, is it not a, a full sacrificial, you laying your life at the feet of Jesus and saying, I am yours and everything in it. And, and as you mentioned in your training, you know, like a savior and Lord, I think the savior part's pretty easy. Right make me feel good about myself. Right. <laughs> that, that, that part's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. But the Lord, as in you are my boss, you are my king, you yep. say jump and I ask how high. That's faith. Mm-hmm. And that part, that part's terrifying because it might mean that I have to yeah. do things or not do things that I really would rather do or not do. And yeah. But in the end, those things, as as we know, and, and I've gone through, you know, some of those things myself and 
uh, suffering and trial. And of course, in this life, we know that the promise uh, to the Christian is there will be sorrow, there will be suffering, there will be trials. You know, Jesus is our master. Um, you know, if we're going to be followers yeah. of his, we know that we will also uh, be enduring some of those things. And yet those things are given to us by God for our uh-huh. strengthening. And and they're and he's they're given to us by God for um the edification of others, yeah. even, you know. And so um they're never random, they're never um, they're never just coincidental or or simply, you know, life kind of stinks and this is just, you know, the the hand that you're dealt. It, it, it there's there's something in it um in all of the suffering and all the pain uh, there's something in it that uh that god um longs to teach us and grow us and and utilize us you know in the lives of others who have gone through or, or maybe yet to go through some of that pain and suffering to be an encouragement to them but i want to you know i want to back up to what you were sharing ken about the um the identity piece and um uh you know i I so I really do believe that um in the identity on the identity side of things that and, and you mentioned that um we're not thinking fully of what kids in particular are being set up for I mean I think this is true for adults as well but I'm especially concerned about um young people and yeah. children who are so highly influenced by the culture around them by peer groups by social media certainly by by popular media and and the, and they're seeing you know all the cool kids are basically um you know part of the lgbt community uh the lgbtq the idea frankly the idea that the lgbt community now is some marginalized group of oppressed people the truth is i mean in all honesty i don't know of any other uh, group on the planet that uh that is so highly celebrated and um and and has so much power uh um as the lgbt community does um you know the activists within the community and and um it's not that, that they're huge in number but they certainly are huge in um again in garnering um support and, uh, and 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 driving kind of um their their perspective so in that sense i certainly do not see the lgbt my former community as being um a, a marginalized community not by a long shot there's a lot of power there um but but children i feel like are being used as the tip of the spear for an agenda that at the end of the day is going to have massive consequences on their lives for just as one example, the idea of a boy or a girl buying into this idea that they can change their gender, which is biologically impossible, um, our, our, nearly every cell in our body um, is gendered yeah. as male or female. We are binary creatures by God's design. Um, but the idea that we can that we can somehow do that and and going through a social transition process and then a chemical uh, hormonal uh, transition process with testosterone or estrogen with puberty blockers etc and then going potentially going through some um, surgical uh, process either top surgery bottom surgery uh, there's there's uh, when when that happens 
I mean, we children are oftentimes sterilized. We'll never be able to have girls. Will never be able yeah. to have children. Many of them. Um, there's uh, they're they're having their breasts healthy breasts removed um, as as young people oftentimes who who don't have the capacity. Their brains aren't even fully developed. They don't even know the long term impacts. They can't feel the the long term impacts of what could be happening. And then in addition to that, we've also put them in a place where they are going to now be medically. Uh, they're go they're going to lean on and be a part of um uh medical care for the rest of their yeah. lives for things that they were never necessary yeah. and so um that's really concerning to me and what let me when i say never necessary i'm not saying that there's not great distress but the idea that we wouldn't work with with kids and even with adults in terms of helping them come into congruence with their biological gender so that so that their minds and their bodies can be yeah. whole as they were created um, is just a, a huge travesty yeah. to me. I think that perhaps the hope that I have is who else other than Jesus can say, I see you for who you are. I see the depth yes. of your mess. You were made in my image and I alone am who, am who you are to compare yourself to. Mm -hmm. And I think that while there's a great battle against the identity of kids, I think there's also great opportunity for true healing and revival in the soul to say, wait a second, the world says that if I just snip this off or, or, or whatever, I'll be, I'll, I'll have all my cares will be fixed. Right. And I think Jesus is saying, wait, hold on. I can actually help you with that. And you don't need to cut anything off. Like I'm, I'm right here. I, I, I think yeah. that, I think that part of this identity push or battle, I wonder if it is prepping something amazing on the spiritual front. Because only, only in mm -hmm. Christ can we find our identity. And I wonder how many kids, I wonder how many adults or people are trying everything in the world and they're still empty. And now they're right. wounded physically or, by, or chemically mm -hmm. or whatever. I, I think there's an opportunity for some incredible ministry to occur to, to really demonstrate love and truth and care. And yep. It's going to be hard. I know that. Um, I also think, though, that engaging kids, you know, earlier is better. Um, before the hormones take off, I, I think there's a lot of research out there. I've, I've read a few different books on it. You know, I, I think, you know, you get into that high school age range and there's more autonomy, there's more independence. Uh, there's more of an attitude, mm -hmm. you know, I, I can do what I want. Um, I, I think if we can begin to develop intentional relationships and go deep in faith with these kids, you know, by junior high, the latest, I, I think maybe that helps too. Um, Abs absolutely. And I, I agree with you on the, it's what I, I have a lot of hope 
um, if the church will prepare herself. Sure. Um, I don't have much hope if the church doesn't. I mean, uh, I mean, our, my hope rests in Christ, but he also works through his church. And so the churches that I believe do, you know, what you've been doing and what many other churches are doing, which is working to really become prepared and knowledgeable and competent and being able to combine um, uh, truth and grace and, and yeah. knowing how to walk alongside of, of broken kids. But, but also I think that we have to back the truck up in the church and recognize that our pews are full of people. And we, you shared this in your own testimony, they're full of people who aren't dealing with, uh, you know, uh, uh transgenderism or LGBTQ, but they are dealing with dealing with sexual brokenness issue. They are sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They are, they have moved in together, you know, or they, um, there's porn addiction going on or what have you is the yeah. church. Frankly, I don't feel like we have much business or, or right to, to try to speak into the lives of the, of those within the LGBT community until we start getting honest and real and vulnerable, uh, and bringing real healing to, um, the sexual brokenness that's in every well, congregation. I'll, uh, I'll take it a step yeah. further. Do I have the right to, to face anybody and their issues if I don't have the courage to even come right. on this and say, I'm messed up. I, I, right. I mean, right. I, I think part of what I love about our team at YFC here is we're authentic. Like what you see is mm-hmm. what you get. Um, people have made fun yeah. of me for wearing my emotions on the sleeve, but at the same time, you're not going to get surprised with it. And, and, and I think yeah. there's something to be said about the freshness and somebody, well, even listening to you, I mean, I think that's what I love about you too, is you're not waiting for that gotcha moment. You're not waiting for that, well, I'm better than you moment. You're like, hey, this is a dude who's just kind of messed up. I'm kind of like that. You know, there, there's that relatability mm-hmm. factor. And I think, you know, church needs to be a place where it's a, it's a congregation of sick, broken people. I just read in, uh, was it Luke 7? Um, about uh, when Jesus talks, hey, there's two guys who owe debts. One owes 50 bucks, one owes 500 bucks. Who do you think is going to love yeah. the, uh, the debt forgiver more? And Peter says, well, surely the guy who owned 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. He's like, you have judged rightly. And it's like, if, if we stop for a second and just consider the weight of our brokenness and sin, regardless of what, well, I'm not as bad as those people over there, but you're right. still a sinner. You still have a arrogant, mm-hmm. prideful heart. And I was, I forget, I was, I'm reading this book right now called uh, The Other Worldview. I forget by Peter Jones, maybe. I can't remember his name. Anyway, really good book. Mm. Uh, very heady. I like that kind of stuff. And at one point in the book, I, I, I wrote the question down on the page, on the side of the page that said, is our battle in life good versus evil or humility versus pride? Because it was arrogance that cast Satan mm. from the heavens, right? Uh, or Lucifer, whatever name right. thing, the Isaiah passage. Um, mm-hmm. But I was just thinking about that of like, is it arrogance that keeps people out of the kingdom of heaven? And arrogance that keeps people, mm-hmm. Christians, followers of Jesus, from encountering him even more deeply and intimately. But when you throw yourself at the feet of Jesus in true humility and weakness, then he is strong. And I think one of the things that I feel like God has honored me back with is I have worked very hard in, in my speech, in my deeds, and everything about who I am 
you'll hear me say, look, Mm -hmm. I'm just throwing myself at the feet of Jesus because I don't know. And there's a sense of, I think, holy fear with, I don't want to screw this up. And so I have to trust you even more. Um, So for example, there's a girl in one of our clubs that we work with who accused me of being transphobic a number of months back. It's actually kind of what instigated bringing you out and talking to some of the youth pastors in our community, because they were all like, actually, I have the same problem in my church or in my youth group or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. it's an issue that our kids are facing at horrible levels right now, which is very culturally driven because you look at the statistics. I mean, it's, it's mathematically a thing. And one of the things that, you know, I, I think about is here's a girl who has been wounded and she finally confessed like something happened in her past. And Mm -hmm. she has the most power in the world when she can stop a grown man in his tracks and say, you're transphobic. I have zero defense other than to say, I am so sorry because she's got, like, as you mentioned earlier, she holds the power. She is both the expert and the victim. You can't argue with her because it's her truth mm. and you can't touch her because she's, she's the, the, the epitome of victimization. And so what I started to do is I would literally see her and I would say, you know what? I love your beautiful smile today. And I would just start to mm-hmm. say, Hey, you're always so filled with joy. Whenever I see you, I'm so gl- grateful that I got to, you know, come to club with you today. Just these small little droplets of love and truth of, Hey, you know what? It's not how I behave here right now. Like there's some boundaries here. We got to follow mm-hmm. never being like, what's your problem? Young lady. Don't you, you know, like, or never getting an attitude or never being like, Oh, I'm so sorry. What are your preferred pronouns this evening? You know, like, or this afternoon or whenever we have club. Um, but just to, express like what I truly feel about this young girl and just, Hey, it's it's great to see you. Yeah. And what I found is when I don't affirm it, I don't be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like whatever you want me to do. But I also am not like a jerk. I'm I'm somewhere in this weird middle of attention. She is just this wonderful, bubbly, normal junior high girl. And yep. Yep. You know, I may be one of two grown men that has not abused her and has treated her like a woman with dignity. And this idea, we live in a culture where um, there's this false dichotomy on so many levels in so many different areas. Uh, the belief, the idea that that I hear over and over and over again I, in, in countless ways um, coming at us from all directions is you can either love people or you hate them. And, and the love, of course, yeah. from the world's perspective, the love is always affirmation of whatever they desire. And yet, from a biblical worldview perspective, thus, there are many things that I desired that were absolutely destructive yeah, for me. me too. And so, this idea that, so this idea that, that I can, um, that if I'm not going to love and affirm those things, then I hate the person, that is a completely false dichotomy. And it's, it's going on everywhere in culture. The truth is what you just described, that, that middle of the road, that idea, I'm not going to go out of my way to offend you. I'm not going to throw out, you know, a, your, your biological pronouns, um, that are based on your sex 
um, just to offend you. I'm going to, and I'm not going to do it every time I have an opportunity to or whatever. Uh, and, and I will, I will, I will work to avoid in any way that I possibly can offending you without yeah. also, without also speaking yeah. falsehood, without, without agreeing with something that's not true. But what I am going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to work really hard to really, to show you um, the love of Christ uh, to show you how much he values yeah. you as a, as a, as a girl, as a boy, yeah. as a man or a woman. And I'm going to try to model that without getting into this nonsense, without trying to, without panicking over, oh my gosh, you know, am I, I'm going to be called a bigot or I'm going to be called a homophobe or I'm going to be called this or that or transphobe or whatever. When in fact, no, I'm actually loving them. Well, I'm just loving yeah. them. Honestly. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say, just you, you, to make a quick point, that my personal opinion, and I, I want to be careful with how I say this, I work really hard to use their names. I think there's something mm -hmm. personal about saying, hi, my name is Ken. Hi, nice to meet you, Gary. Yep. And I, I, yep. I think that the, the pronoun issue is a game that that results in loss every time. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things I've done with some of the kids we work with is I don't pick whatever pronoun you want. I don't care because your name is this and I'm going to call you by this name. And, and that's who you are. This is your name. And there's remember those good old days when your name was your, was your everything like, your name was your mm -hmm. honor and how you lived your life. The name that people left, whenever they left, someone said your name, it was like, oh, that person or oh, that person. And, and I, I think there's something good and pure about a name. And so mm -hmm. I, I just don't play, I don't do the pronoun thing personally. Now, again, everyone has different contexts. I'm, I'm trying not to, I don't want to be like one of those guys or whatever, but I, I feel like our kids get called so many things that are oftentimes not good, pure, and holy. And, and right. to say, Gary, God made you knowing with your name in his mouth that you would be his son. There's something special about that. I mean, these kids mm -hmm. are longing for knowing that they belong, that they're a part of something. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that to do the pronoun thing is to undercut that that sacredness of the name. Now, maybe I'm over spiritualizing it. I don't know, but it's just my, my personal opinion. And I think even when Well, so on the pronoun topic that you're you're raising, Ken, or we're talking about, one of the things that's so interesting about that when you pause and think about it, and I don't feel like many people are actually thinking about this, is you don't call somebody by their preferred pronoun or their biological pronoun when you're, I don't, I'm, when I'm talking to you, Ken, I've not once referred to you as he or anything else, right? Because I'm talking to you. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to say he, when I'm talking to you, I'm not going to say they, they, z, zir, whatever, when I'm talking to you, I'm going to call you by your name or I, you know, or I'm just you know, on occasion, I'm going to bring your name up. And so I, I really agree with that. What's interesting about the pronoun, you, you're really not in a situation as, uh, in, in most cases as a youth leader, as a friend or, um, you know, as whatever you're not, you're not all uh, often in a situation where you're using, where you need to use 
their biological pronoun or any other pronoun when they're they're right. with you. And so the pronoun thing is is more of um a, uh, a an insistence that you refer to a person um in a way that's not biologically true or accurate when you're not even with them. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating to me. So you and I might talk about somebody and we would use pronouns to talk about them along with their name as well. And 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 so our speech and our, what we say, like we're being monitored um, to and and, and um, uh, trained to use to, to speak in a way that's not actually even true, even when the person's yeah. not with us. Um, so, I, I mean, that's an interesting um, reality when it comes to the pronoun um, situation. Yeah. So what what would you like to see, um, Ken, as a as a as a youth leader, as an equipper of um, others in youth ministry? What would you what what would you like to see the church doing um, uh, differently or maybe in some way new, uh, but what do you feel like would give you greater tools as a Christian, as a, as a ministry leader, um, that, 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 that you would like to see the church embrace to help young Two people? Two things. Super easy. Number one, don't send your kids out of church service on Sundays. What you're teaching them is that the kids belong over there. The adults belong over here. Um, there's been some research around that, that that demonstrates that's true. But even just the message of, well, you're too immature to, to understand. I mean, it's not what we're saying, but it's what's being communicated. It's that one of those feelings that you can't articulate, but it's there. And so like in my mm. family, I've told my, my niece who goes to church, we go to church together. My niece, um, she's 13. And I've told her mom, like, hey, if you can keep her in church, keep her in church. You're going to have better outcomes mm-hmm. than just sending her off with the kids. Um, and now I, I mm-hmm. get the little kids like, you know, you're five, six, seven, eight. Yes. Get them out of the church. Sure. Why not? But I think when, when a kid's of, a, of age, fifth, sixth grade, uh, keep them in church. Have them watch you and the others worship. Have the others watch the kids. Be, take note of what it feels like when you can look around in your congregation and you're like, wow, there's an 85-year-old there and a 10-year-old there, and they both got their hands raised. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something mm-hmm. spiritual about that. Um, the, the other thing is, and you touched on this, and I was very, very uh, glad you did, actually, because I've been saying this for a long time. Have a regular guys and girls outings. Get the men, get the boys, mm-hmm. go do something. I don't care what it is. You, you want to go get pedicures as men? Great. You want to go blow stuff up? Great. You want to go paint? I don't care. Get together with the men because I see so many times th- you have single parent homes a- and girls are trying to raise boys. Right. Boys are trying to raise girls. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, I think there's something to be said about boys need to watch men. Girls need to watch women. And it doesn't have to be whatever stereotypical mm-hmm. gender roles. If girls want to go shoot guns, right. go shoot guns. I don't care. If you want to go, you know, mm-hmm. play basketball and lift weights as girls, fine. Great. Go to the gym. But to be around other women and, and there, there's just something to be said about that. I did that when I was a youth pastor years ago, and I can't tell you enough how powerful it was to see these young boys, these older men 
bond and laugh and play and make fart joy jokes. I didn't go hang out with the girls. I don't, I don't know what the girls did, but you know, we were just a bunch of boys being boys. Probably not that. And there's something, right. there's just, it, I don't even know how to articulate it well enough other than there's something spiritual There's something precious about getting to do that because in our culture, it's not common. And especially when you watch a lot of these TV shows and yeah. stuff, men are portrayed, especially white conservative Christian men are portrayed a certain way. Women are portrayed a certain way. Like idiots. And to see like, oh, you're, you're, you're a man, you're a pretty buff dude, and you're not like that. Or you love Jesus and you mm -hmm. worship and you cried a little bit during service. Like there's something to mm -hmm. be said about boys seeing manhood and girls seeing womanhood. So I'll, I'll just, I'll beat that horse. You know, I'll, I'll just keep going in circles at that point. But those are two things. Keep the kids in church and develop ministries where boys can be with men and girls can be with women. I think we do those two things. There's a huge upward trajectory mm -hmm. in our future as a church. Well, and, and I, um, I, obviously there'll be people that, um, I, I think the majority of people who hear this podcast, watch this podcast would, uh, you probably agree with what Ken's saying on the, on the latter part. Some of you might agree with what Ken's saying in terms of, uh, keeping kids in the service and others may say, no, they need to be with their peer group and they're get, being taught some specific things for their age group or whatever. Regardless of that, I think there's real value in, in the reality. I think what, what uh, you're really hitting on, Ken, part of it is, is that um, that cross-generational yes. population uh, or pollination is what I should say, cross-generational pollination that um, where, where older folks uh, actually are blessed um, as they pour into younger people and younger people are blessed as they receive from them, et cetera. Um, but the other thing that strikes me too, and this won't be new to people that have kind of been following our ministry, but I think another thing that the church needs to be doing, uh, as, as well as getting the, the, the boys, and the men together and the women and the girls together, it's the idea of, of introducing little ones, uh, children, to the to the concepts of the positive reality of being image bearers of God, that God was intentional about putting His image into us as little boys. He's intentional about putting His a different but equal value image into little girls, and and that the more that we know as little ones, uh, that that is a glorious thing. That is an exciting thing. That is something that actually points us, it, it helps give us guidelines and direction for our future. When we wind up going into situations where, uh, you know, maybe a family member uh, has a, um, a child that they're celebrating, you know, more the transgender view with, and um, it, it helps that child who's been grounded in a biblical framework understand, oh, I'm not I'm not going to be swayed by by this confusion over here because I know that this was um, I am an intentional design by God and that it has meaning and it has purpose it has yeah. value. Um, it's not just up for grabs. And so I think the church can do a lot more when it comes to its teaching and training of even little ones. I mean, obviously we we talk we should be talking about sexual things and matters of identity in a way that is age appropriate sure. for kids. But you can start talking at the earliest of ages with children um, about the concepts of the positive nature of being made in the yeah. image of God and, um, and, you know, the glories of that kind of thing. So I would love to see that happening more and more at younger levels, uh, you know, within the church as well. So 
Um, well, Ken, I'm just wondering, uh, as we wrap this up, first of all, I want to thank any, um, I want to thank those who have taken the time to watch this podcast through. And I love your perspective as a youth worker, as, uh, uh, as one who leads other youth workers and the fact that you've been doing this for so long in full-time ministry with young people, obviously you're on the front lines of these younger generations. And so thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you for, um, giving us your perspective on what is is helpful, um, what has been helpful, what some of the what some of the pitfalls and concerns are that you have. So, um, everyone, thank you for watching this yeah. with us and and being a part of what Ken and I are talking about. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast, and we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.